And so we want to pick up our reading tonight where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And we'll read down to the conclusion of the chapter. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and they shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. A number of years ago when we had our family around us, we were uh, basically in the middle of a very wet and windy, cold kind of summer, you know, a typical Northern Irish kind of summer. And, uh, you know, we were desperate for just some sunshine. And I was out in my car one day, I was doing some visits, and uh, I was listening to the radio, and they said that there was a, a big uh, high pressure that was coming in, a, you know, a, a big area of high pressure was coming in. It was going to rest over the island, and that there was going to be a great heat wave. And so I had this moment in which I thought we should just take advantage of this. So I went home to Hazel and I said, let's, let's take a wee break. There's, there's going to be sunshine from tomorrow. We'll take a break. We'll go away somewhere. And, and she said, well, where are we going to go? And I said, well, you know, I, I have a friend and he's been to Kong in the County Mayo and I said, let's go down there. Maybe we could borrow your brother's tent. I'd read a book in which they said every family should go camping once. It's a bonding experience. And so I thought, well, we've never went camping before. Let's borrow your brother's tent and we'll go to Kong. Now, we didn't even know where Kong was. It was just a dot on the map for us. We didn't know anything about Kong. We didn't know anything about camping. There were six of us and we borrowed a four-man tent. That was a bad start. Um, we ended up with two of the children folded around the middle pole of the tent in order to get them to sleep. And Hazel had a panic attack the first night, thinking that the tent was going to go on fire for some reason. I don't know why. There wasn't a fire within 100 yards of us. But she got some notion that it wasn't safe, and she ended up sleeping in the car for two nights after that. And I slept in the tent with the children. And I can tell you this about the village of Kong in County Mayo. It is known for one thing and one thing only. It is the location of a movie in which John Wayne starred, known as The Quiet Man. 
Now, I had never seen the quiet man. I had never heard of the quiet man. I've subsequently found out from people who like watching movies that that's a very famous movie. It's a classic uh, movie. But anyway, we went to this village and there was nothing to see except the locations where certain scenes were shot in the movie. And it would tell you, you know, John Wayne's character did this and somebody else's character did that at this point and that point and so on. And, uh, you know, having not seen the movie, however, the campsite were very helpful because each night they had a community room that was open to all and they showed one movie and one movie only. The Quiet Man. And so we went the first night and we watched The Quiet Man. The next night, you know, and our kids were coming up, some of them were well into their teens by this point, and, you know, kids being kids, they wanted something to do. There was nothing to do. He said, what are we going to do? He said, go and watch the movie. <laughs> so they went and watched The Quiet Man. <laughs> the third night, <laughs> they said, Dad, there's got to be something to do. I said, well, you could go and watch The Quiet Man. <laughs> And so they went and watched The Quiet Man. And by the end of that holiday, I can tell you that our children absolutely hated the movie, The Quiet Man. Tonight I want to bring to your attention a quiet man that you can love. I'm speaking of Jesus' stepfather, the man that we know as Joseph. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the nativity account... Everyone has a part with lines. Everyone that is except Joseph. You ever notice that Joseph never actually says anything? Mary has plenty to say. The angels have their lines. Gabriel has his. The shepherds have theirs. Even Herod the king gets a a few lines. The wise men have some lines. But not one word from Joseph. Nothing, nothing at all is spoken from Joseph's lips. In fact, when we perform nativity plays at Christmas time, we have to give Joseph a made-up line. He goes to the innkeeper and he says, is there any room in the inn? You realize those words don't appear in the Bible. Or have you any room at the inn? And not only do we make up a line for him, we make up a character so that he can speak the line. The innkeeper. The innkeeper doesn't appear in the word of God. He's a fictitious character. And uh, I'm not quibbling about that. I'm not saying if we ever have a nativity play that I want to cut that line out or anything like that. But the point I'm making is that Joseph doesn't say a whole lot of anything. And yet uh, we can see from the biblical record that God chose this man specifically to rear his son, to be the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that was no accident. Joseph was chosen because he was a man of godly character. Uh, Someone actually who we can look up to as a very fine example of how we should both know and love the Lord. I want to begin in verse 18 this evening. And I want us to think about Joseph's distress. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now we read last week from verses 1 to 17 
about Jesus' family tree. And we saw that it was indeed a rogues gallery of sinners and, and of some of whom were saved, some of whom were redeemed, others who were not, but all of whom were contained in his line, indicating to us that God is a God of grace. He's a God who loves the sinful and loves the sinner. We remember that the Lord Jesus, of course, was born without sin, that he was born, as we read even here, of a virgin. And so in this passage, we, we learn how he comes to be born, uh, how he takes upon himself human nature, he becomes a man. Uh, the term we use is that he is incarnated. He takes upon himself human flesh. And Matthew tells us that at this point in time, Joseph and Mary were, and here's the old word that they used, espoused to be married. Now, an espousal in the custom of that day was much like an engagement in the custom, in our custom, in our particular period of time, except for three things. Number one, the father of the of the groom to be had to pay a dowry and agreed sum of money to the father of the bride. Now, as a father of three daughters, I've always loved that idea. Uh, but unfortunately, I've never been paid a penny for any of my daughters by any of their husbands. And so, uh, you know, I can just tell you all of my son-in-laws are worthless and useless. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm joking. I'm very blessed to have three very good son-in-laws. But, you know, that was the old way of doing it. If you had a daughter... I hate to tell you this. If you, your father's at the back. If you have a daughter and you're going to marry her, you have to pay the father some money. And Trevor loves that idea. This sum was called a mohar. And the mohar was always paid in cash. Sometimes, however, if you couldn't afford the sum, you would pay for it in kind. You would serve the, your fiancé's uh, father in some way. And we see that in the Old Testament in the life of Jacob. In fact, Lord willing, we'll look at that next Sunday morning where Jacob served seven years in order to marry Rachel. Of course, he ended up marrying Leah first, but he served seven years for the purpose of marrying Rachel. Now, once all this was agreed that a marriage was going to take place, there was a ceremony, there was a contract exchange, money passed hands, and the betrothal period unlike our engagement period, was legally binding. Okay, so, you know, you can break off an engagement. You can have a row with your fiancé and, uh, and, the, and the girl take off her ring and flings it back at you and tells you it's all off and, and that's the end of the matter. But in Bible times, it wasn't quite as simple as that. You had to go through a legal process in order to, uh, to dissolve the mohar, to break up this uh, agreement. So uh, here again, uh, we, the, once this all was settled, once this agreement was settled, uh, you know, the groom would then uh, go away and he would spend a year or so back in his uh, father's house and he would work and he would prepare a property there uh, in order to uh, bring his bride there and to live in due course. Finally, when he had built such a comfortable home and he had that space available, he would come for his new wife. He would go to her house and receive her onto himself and she would be led in a procession back to his father's house and then the legal tie would be consummated and the couple were now officially married. Well, Mary and Joseph were at stage two of this process. They had agreed between their parents that they should be married and he had paid the dowry 
And it was settled that this marriage would take place and he had returned home to his father's house preparing a new home for he and his bride. But then comes this news that nobody wants to hear when you're engaged that she was pregnant. Now, obviously, any reasonable man in this situation, if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, you would think to yourself, well, she's either been unfaithful, and that would probably be your first thought, or worse, perhaps she has been raped. Now, how much Joseph knew about Mary's circumstances, we're not told, other than that he received news that she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. How this news came to him, how much of it he had, uh, we cannot say. But, uh, you know, let's face it, just that news in itself would seem at first hearing to be most implausible. You know, your, your fiancé is pregnant. Well, how did she get pregnant? Who was she out with? Well, she wasn't out with anybody. It's a child of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, you would say, well, what kind of excuse is this? Child of the Holy Ghost. I mean, what kind of cover-up's going on here? What does she mean by that? I mean, if your wife or your daughter or your fiancé came and said to you, I'm pregnant, and you said, well, I don't know who the father is, and, and she responded, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with a child with the Holy Ghost. You say, get out of here. You wouldn't, you wouldn't accept that excuse. You wouldn't take that from her. You wouldn't believe her. Now, of course, unusual conceptions are not new in the history of Israel. We know that uh, the conception of Isaac was unusual insofar that his mother was quite up in years in her 90s when she gives birth to him. Likewise, the birth of Samuel was unusual. The birth of Samson was unusual. The birth of John the Baptist was unusual. But this was not just an unusual conception. It was exceptional It was miraculous. The claim was that Mary had no contact with any other man, but that she had conceived a child as a virgin. So either, in Joseph's mind, Mary was not the woman she hoped he would be, she would be, that she was some kind of fantasist, storyteller, liar, or she is morally loose. Now, either way, it's not the best way to begin a marriage, is it? You discover your fiancé's you know, a habitual liar. You discover that she's a fantasist. Or you discover that she is promiscuous. It's not the best start to anybody's marriage. And so the poor fellow in verse 18 is left with his head in a spin. What was he to make of this? What about their hopes? What about their dreams? What about this house he's building? What about all of the effort and the time and the money that has gone into this thing? All wasted on a woman who didn't have the decency to come clean and tell him that she had another man in some other place. And Joseph, I have no doubt in that culture in that time, would have been in deep distress at this news. He was placed in a bit of a dilemma. He was faced with a conundrum. He had to make a a decision concerning what he was going to do, how he was going to move forward. And this problem was brought to him through no fault of his own. But notice in verse 19, Joseph's decision. 
It says then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now Joseph was faced with this dilemma. He was faced with this difficulty, this problem, and he had one of three choices that he could make as he thought about it. Number one, he could go ahead and marry Mary, even though he thought perhaps she was immoral. He thought perhaps she was a liar, uh, that she had low moral character. But let's uh, be honest, as I've said already, uh, that's no way to begin a married life. Uh, Secondly, he could take her to law and have her stoned as an adulteress. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 22 says of that situation, Then they shall bring out the damsel, the young woman, to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. That was sex education in ancient times. Now I'm not for one moment advocating that we stone unmarried mothers but uh, there are people today who will read a passage like that and they'll raise their eyebrows and they'll say well what kind of God would come up with a thing like that and a law like that and uh, you know he's clearly a monster and so on and you know what here's what you had a lot less of in Bible times you had a lot less unwanted pregnancies you had a lot less abortions you had a lot less creeps who take advantage of young girls and you had a lot less young women with a low self-esteem because they were left feeling used and abused and abandoned. So before we look down on the ancient culture, maybe we should have a look at our own culture and see that our progressiveness is not that progressive at all. The third option he could have is he could quietly divorce her and pick up the pieces of his broken heart and find another bride and go and marry her instead. But no matter what he was to choose here, make no mistake, this was a tough decision. You know, it wasn't an easy thing that he was facing. And and so this passage tells us that as Joseph approached the problem, that he is a just man. It tells us that, that Joseph was a just man. Now the word just there in verse 19 is used to sum up the character of Joseph. And it's a word that is pregnant with meaning. It's full of meaning. It's a word used of someone whose way of thinking and of feeling and of conduct is fully conformed to the will of God. So when we read that Joseph is a just man, uh, what we're saying here is that here was a man who was in tune with the spirit and the person of God. He had an understanding of who God was and what God was like. And his spirit was reflective of the God whom he knew. You see that Joseph was a just man insofar as he didn't act rashly when he heard this news. Isaiah tells us, He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not make haste. Joseph didn't make haste. So of his available options, Joseph chose to divorce Mary quietly. Meaning a private ceremony would take place and the betrothal would be dissolved 
before two or three witnesses and he could get on with his life. You see, here was a man so godly that he continued to love Mary as far as we know despite the fact that he knew or he perceived that she had done wrong. And the reason we're given or he, we're given that he made this decision is that he wasn't willing to make her a public example. He wasn't willing to drag her before the city elders. He wasn't willing to have her out in the open uh, being punished before all. He wasn't willing to have her stoned by the, by the fathers uh, of Bethlehem or Jerusalem. You see, Joseph was not a vindictive man. He was not the kind of man who nursed his wounds. He was a gracious man. A man who, despite the hurt that was caused him, reached out to minister to the very one who had done him the wrong. Now the character of this quiet man of God illustrates to us the righteous love of God in his life and not just in theory. He was willing to show mercy to someone who seemed not to deserve such mercy. So also God is willing to show us mercy even though we really don't deserve his mercy. Joseph loved Mary despite what he thought she was. God loves us despite the fact he knows what we are. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He doesn't love us because we're nice. He doesn't love us because we're kind. He doesn't love us because of any merit of our own. He loves us because he's a God who is love. And just as Joseph was not desirous to make a public example of Mary and to punish her before others, so we find in the Bible a God who is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I wonder tonight, have you experienced God's gracious love? Have you found in Jesus Christ a God who will show you mercy? A God who will love you as you are? A God who is willing to forgive and to save you? Not desirous that you should be punished. Not desirous that he should have to judge you in holiness. Not desirous that you should be cast off from him. And sent to hell, but desirous that you should be saved. Joseph exhibited in his response to Mary the love of Christ. But I want you to notice the last portion of this scripture. And notice Joseph's dream. We've thought about his distress, we've thought about his decision. Now let's think about this dream. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and they shall bring forth a son, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took on to him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now it seems to me, just reading the text as it sits, that that Mary probably didn't tell Joseph the whole story about her pregnancy, that he didn't really understand, or maybe he didn't know about the visit of Gabriel recorded in Luke's uh, gospel. You know, maybe he wasn't told all the details because she thought, well, you know, who's going to believe me? He's not going to believe me. Just tell him I'm pregnant with a child of the Holy Ghost. That's all he needs to know. And we can see that Mary was on his thoughts, that, that her future occupied his thoughts, that their future occupied his thoughts. You know, even after he had made his decision to divorce, to divorce her and to do so quietly, notice that the word thought there, but what he thought on, those, on these things. It means to process information, uh, to think carefully about something. He mulled it over. And it's very likely that Joseph's family and Mary's family knew each other. You know, back in Bible times, people had arranged marriages. You didn't choose your husband or your wife. Your father chose your husband or your wife. There was an agreement between parents. And he probably knew her family, his family knew her family. They were well known to each other. And it's unlikely in his mind, knowing her as he did, that she would behave in this way, that she would lie to him, that that she would be loose in her morals. And yet, what was all this business about the Holy Ghost? It seems that the thought of her followed him to bed at night. And it's in his bed, in his dreams, that God meets with him and reveals the truth about what happened and, and helps this troubled man get over the hiccup and to have a different view of his fiance. But Joseph's response to God's angelic revelation shows his godly character. And here's what I want you to get tonight. I'm not going to bamboozle you with theology tonight, but I want you to see just some simple truths about Joseph's response. And then I want you to think about your relationship with God. And your responses to God. The first thing I want you to notice is. He listened to God. He listened to God. Joseph's ears were open. Willing to hear. Whatever God would say to him. And whatever manner it was. In which God would say it. Now God doesn't speak to us today. By the means of dreams. You know. There are Christian people and they guide their lives by dreams. I would caution you against that. The Bible is complete. There was a time when God did speak to people by vision, sometimes by dreams, sometimes by angelic visitation. But we know from the book of Hebrews that he speaks to us in these last days through his son. And we know from the scriptures as a whole that they are complete and God has no more to say to us having brought Christ into the world. So today, uh, the word of God is the means and mechanism by which God speaks with us. He speaks to us 
through the gospel. And I wonder, do you listen when God speaks? You see, in the book of Revelation, we have this statement by the Lord Jesus as he stands at the door of the church of Laodicea, where indeed many unsaved members worship. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And will sup with him and he with me. Friends, has the Lord ever come and knocked on your heart's door? Has he ever come and knocked on the door of your life? Has he ever, has he ever invited you to open up to him? To receive him? To welcome him in? That he might come in and sup with you? Fellowship with you? And you with him? But friends, it's one thing hearing it. It's another thing doing it. Have you listened to God. Joseph listened to God. He didn't say, well, that's interesting, and went off to sleep. He didn't think to himself, you know, I never had that thought before, and forgot about it. No, he responded. He listened. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs in chapter 2, My son, if thou will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest or longest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You are never going to know anything about God until you're first of all willing to open up your mind and your heart to his truth. He listened to God and then he believed God. Joseph not only heard the message of God in his dream, but he believed the word of God. Look at verses 22 and 23 because there's a little editorial note there that is placed by Matthew into this narrative. He says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You see, Matthew imports that note into the narrative because he knows that his Jewish readership would have been as naturally incredulous at the idea of a virgin birth as Joseph was or anybody else might be. Even to this day, skeptics look at the virgin birth and our belief in it and they poo-poo it and they say, what a bunch of fools to believe that someone can be a virgin and conceive a child. But in order to aid his readership along the way, Matthew points them back to the Old Testament, way back to about 650 BC to the writings of Isaiah the prophet, to chapter 7 and verse 14 of Isaiah. And he says the prophet foretold this. 700 years ago approximately, he foretold this. When he wrote, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, if Joseph or if anyone else are coming to this passage is ever to be saved, you're going to have to not only listen to God, but you're going to have to believe God. 
Matthew's readership needed to believe God, accept what God says. Do you realize that in order for you to be saved, you have to believe God? You don't have to believe me. But you do have to believe God. In the book of Romans in chapter 4, Paul, writing of Abraham, says, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, pertaining to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were off the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Now listen to what it says. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He just took God at his word. And let me tell you tonight, the reason, if you're here and you're not saved, the reason you're not saved is not because you're smarter than anybody. It's not because you're better than anybody. It's not even because you may be more wicked than other people. It's because you simply refuse to believe God. You won't go to hell because you were a terrible person. You won't go to hell because you were unfaithful to your wife or because you were dishonest in your business or because you were a liar with every word you spoke. You'll go to hell because you refuse to believe God. The only people who go to hell are unbelievers. Are you an unbeliever? Have you believed God tonight? You say, well, what does that mean? It means you should take God at his word. And that's what Joseph did. He listened to God. He believed God. And he trusted the word of God. He trusted the word of God. He believed the word of God to be true. Despite the seeming improbability of a virgin conceiving. It went against everything he knew. You see, believing the gospel might go against everything you know. You might have been brought up being told, you know, you need to be a good boy or a good girl. And, and as parents, we do that. We say to our children, be a good boy, be a good girl, and, and mommy will do this or daddy will do that. There's a reward for your goodness. And everything within you tells you that if you're a good person, you'll be rewarded at the end. But the Bible tells us that our goodness is insufficient for our salvation. And it tells us then that if we will simply act in faith, trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we will be born again and that God will completely forgive us and that we will be allowed entry into heaven when we die. You say, that's too simple. No, here's the thing. You've got to trust the Word of God. You've got to trust the Word of God. Joseph had every reason not to believe that Mary conceived as a virgin. By the way, just because it's not normal for a virgin to conceive, doesn't mean it's not possible for a virgin to conceive. You know, back in 2006, in Chester Zoo in England, they reported the births of four Komodo dragon lizards, which did not have a father. These female Komodo dragons produced offspring without male contact and tests revealed that their eggs had developed without being fertilized by sperm, a a process that they refer to as parthenogenesis. From the Greek word parthenos, meaning virgin. 
zoologists were amazed that these creatures were able to birth as virgins without contact with a male. You see, because a thing isn't normal doesn't mean it's impossible. When Mary said she was with child of the, God, of, of the Holy Ghost, no one else may have believed it. But Joseph believed it. Why? Because the word of God told him so. Look with me in Acts chapter 2 for a moment. And verse 41. I want you to notice the character of the early church. In Acts chapter 2. And verse 41, Acts chapter 2 takes us to the day of Pentecost, the day in which the church of Christ was born and was baptized into the body of Christ by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and as you read there in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added on to them about 3,000 souls. And you go down to the bottom of the verse that says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Who was saved that day? They that gladly received his word. Now if the word of God tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My question is, are you willing to believe that word? If the Bible says that, that uh, uh, you know, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, are you willing to believe that word? Are you willing to accept what God has said? Look in chapter 13 and verse 48 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13 and verse 48 it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And glorified the word of the Lord. They believed the word. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That is as many as were disposed to believe the word. Trusted Christ and were saved. That's what it takes for you to be saved. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If you're ever going to be saved you're going to have to. Believe the word of God. You remember the story of the rich man in Luke chapter 16. He dies in his sin and he goes to hell. And he cries out on behalf of his brothers. And he petitions that God would send Lazarus to go and speak to his brothers. And warn them that they shouldn't come to that place. And, uh, and, Moses, and uh, Abraham says to them, uh, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. In other words, he says to them, listen, if they won't believe the word of God, they're not going to believe anything else. He said, they will believe if one comes back from the dead. And Abraham says, no, they, they won't. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I've come back from the dead to tell you. I died last week. Do you believe it? No, you don't. You say, it's ridiculous, pastor. You didn't die last week. And that's the point that's being made in Luke 16. If you don't believe the word of God, you wouldn't even believe if somebody came back and told you they'd come from the dead. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 
says this of the Thessalonian believers, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you. Paul is saying of this church that when you received the word of God, when you heard it, when you audibly received it, he says you accepted it, not as the word of men. You received it. You welcomed it into your heart and life as it is in truth the word of God which effectively worketh in you who believe. Listen to me tonight. This book is a life-giving book. This gospel is a life-giving gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. Do you believe the book? Do you believe it? Joseph listened to the word of God. Joseph believed God and trusted in the word of God. And he obeyed God. Look what he did. Verse 24 of our text in Matthew 1 says, Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife Mary. And he knew her not, that is, he didn't have any intimate contact with her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. How careful the Holy Spirit is with the language. It's her son, not his son. Brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus, even as he was instructed. You know, this is the strongest possible evidence that Joseph believed God. He obeyed the word of God. Well, it doesn't matter what you hear. It only matters what you do with what you hear. It doesn't matter what you hear in life. It only matters what, what you do with what you hear. Joseph was open to the word and at the word of God he cancels his plan to divorce and he marries Mary probably with the protests of family and friends ringing in his ears what do you want to marry her for sure she got pregnant by somebody else no there wasn't anybody else it was the whole holy ghost get a grip man what are you marrying her for you can hear that conversation around the kitchen table can't you but nothing hinders him from doing what God's word tells him to do. And he responds in the appropriate way. He responds with obedience. You see, when God speak to us, speaks to us, we can, we can do one of two things. We can disobey or we can obey. But if we obey God and we obey his word, understand sometimes that's going to cost us. Probably cost Joseph. Doing what's right is rarely the easy thing to do. And so there was probably no big wedding celebration for a start. He probably sacrificed the big feast day. And family and friends probably didn't give their blessing and didn't understand what was taking place. You know, in a small town like Nazareth. Nazareth was a, a very small village at the time. People talked a lot. And they would have talked a lot about Jesus. Who was his real dad? You know, he's not really Joseph's son. Really? Whose son is he? 
says he's born of the Holy Ghost. Who believes that? Can't imagine why he'd swallow that one. You see, it's cost him. Cost him his reputation. Cost him his name. Probably cost him some customers in his business. Cost him, uh, you know, his standing in the community. Cost him his relationship with his parents and his brothers and his sisters and others. Listen to me. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll take God at his word, let me tell you it's likely going to cost you. Not everybody's going to be your friend anymore. Everybody's going to come along and chum up to you, pat you on the back, want to hang out with you. I remember when I first got saved. I used to go, before I got saved, they used to go every Friday night out to a disco out near Doak in County Antrim. And me and the other teenage lads would go out there with our girls and we'd spend Friday night wasting our money on drink and making fools of ourselves. And remember this one night right after I got saved, not knowing any better, I went to the disco, not realizing that that wasn't perhaps the best or wisest or right thing for me to do as a young Christian, but that's what I did. I always went out in the Friday night, so I went out in this Friday night. I got into the taxi with a couple of my friends, and I don't know what it was, but they saw something was different. And I could hear them talking to each other about me. Like I was deaf. And one says to the other, What's wrong with him? And the other one says, He says he's gotten saved. And the other one says, Really? I wouldn't have thought that. And they were talking about, Do you know what? It wasn't very long I didn't go to that disco. You know why? Because first of all, I didn't fit in. And second of all, they didn't want me to go with them. You'll lose friends when you get saved. You may lose family members when you get saved. I remember when I pastored in Dublin, a young woman coming to me and she said, Pastor Moore, if I believe this gospel, if I believe the word of God, if I accept what you say, you realize my mother and father are devout Roman Catholics, they'll put me out of the house. And I said, well, that's a chance you're going to have to take. Better to be put out of the house than to be put out of heaven. And that young woman did get saved and her family made her life a misery for a long time. You don't know what's coming your way. But here's the thing. If the Bible tells you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've only one option. That's to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus says that you should trust him, then you've only one option. That's to trust him. Here was a man who had made a lifelong habit of listening to God, listening to God's word, believing God's word, obeying God's word. And when it came for the test, Joseph did what was expected of him and did not fail. Did you know the gospel is a message to be obeyed? That God, according to the book of Acts, commands men everywhere to repent. That God is calling upon you to turn from your sin, to deny yourself and to trust Jesus Christ. You're supposed to obey that command. 
Just as surely as you would obey the command not to steal or not to murder or not to commit adultery, God expects you to to obey the command to repent. Peter says of Christians, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. You see, the truth is not something that is abject. The truth is something to be obeyed. And indeed, when the Lord Jesus comes the second time, the Bible says he comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't just something to be believed. It's a command to be obeyed. God is commanding you to be saved. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus? Have you taken God at his word that he will forgive you and be gracious unto you if you'll call upon him? Do you believe that Believe what God has said or are you guilty of making God a liar? Maybe you need to be like Joseph, the quiet man and exercising simple faith. He didn't make a song and dance about it. He simply surrendered to God, listened, believed, trusted, and obeyed the Lord. Are you ready to do that tonight? To surrender your life to him? Follow Joseph's example, my friend. Come to the Savior in faith, believing tonight. You know, he was instructed, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. He does save. And he'll save you tonight, if you'll have him. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this evening. We're going